welcome. This is the UC Santa Cruz News Roundup Podcast, where we talk about the latest news and research from UC Santa Cruz. In this episode, we'll be talking about the first slug to go to the Olympics, our fall 2021 class, UC vaccination policy, new leadership at the Seymour Center, and much more. We are, of course, social distancing still. Still, I, I can't God damn. I, I just can't believe it. I mean, last time I saw you, I was so much younger. You know, I, I kind of feel the same way. I, I don't, it, <laughs> I didn't expect this to go on. I still keep talking about this where um, after interviewing our illustrious alumna, Lori Garrett, you know, famous uh, science journalist, uh, yes. about about this pesky pandemic and her telling me how dire it was and walking out kind of ashen-faced outside of my office and someone saying, but we'll be back in a month, right? And I'm thinking, I don't think it'll be a month. I think it oh, might be somewhat, somewhat longer than that. You had an insider's view. It was three weeks at first and now it's been, what? Anyway. Yeah. So, dear listeners, this is all to say, forgive any poor audio quality or random sounds in the background as we get you the podcast from our homes, even as this strange and uncertain environment of the pandemic continues, then seems to be on the verge of ending, yay, then rears its ugly head again. I'm your co-host, Gwen Jordan and I'm an editor for UC Santa Cruz News. I'm your other co-host, Dan White, a writer for UC Santa Cruz News. All right. Well, let's dive in. Dan, I am starting with a story that's super, super relevant right now. Okay. When Izzy Connor steps onto the carpet at the Tokyo Olympics on August 7th, just a few days from now, it will be a milestone moment for the U.S. and for UC Santa Cruz, and also the highlight of years of both personal struggle and success. Connor, who will be a crown student graduating in 2025 in astrophysics, will be the first UC Santa Cruz student to go to the Olympics. So what? awesome. <laughs> I love it. She's a member of Team USA's Rhythmic Gymnastics Group. Have you ever watched Rhythmic Gymnastics, Dan? You know, I find it incredible that on top of everything else, they'd have to stay in rhythm. They're flying through the air. True. They are leaping. They've got to land the right way. And it's incredible. And every time I see the Olympics and I see the incredible achievements of the gymnasts, I wonder if I tried, if I got sucked into the TV and had to compete in Tokyo, if I would be able to even earn even one tenth of one point in my routine. <laughs> I know. Have anything that would even move the scale from a double zero. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think my leg would break off if I had to move it. Yeah, do you ever <laughs> find yourself, do. like you, you're cheering people on, they're on the balance beam and you're like, waha, that person stumbled a little bit. And I'm thinking, okay, if I were on that, I would not be able to get onto, onto the balance beam, <laughs> let alone kind of dance a pirouette and, and, and break dance on top of it. I, so, I know. Well, Yes, I, if, if I managed to get on it, I would definitely break my head or entire body trying to jump around. Um, yes. Anyway, well, so Olympics are not for you and I. Um, no. <laughs> not at the moment. They aren't. But um, so rhythmic gymnastics, it's really beautiful. It's a sport that combines elements of dance and gymnastics with equipment, 
like hoops, balls, ribbons, and, and like clubs. They throw yeah. hoops that, you know, fly through the air to land on their legs. They, they spin balls to each other while moving in, like you said, a perfectly choreographed routine and stuff like that. And until now, U.S. athletes have never qualified for all three Olympic rhythmic gymnastics boroughs, two individual and one group. This achievement did not come easily, though. Connor spent years training and the 2020 Olympics were postponed because of the pandemic. In addition, in 2018, she faced severe anxiety and depression that forced her to rediscover her love for her career. She struggled silently for a while and then taking inspiration from decorated swimmer, Michael Phelps, who has spoken openly about his depression and also from four-time Olympic gold medalist, gymnast Simone Biles, who has said regular visits to a psychiatrist and self-care helped ease her own anxiety, Connor decided to do something pretty novel, step out in the open and treat her anxiety like an injury that needed work to heal. She told her coach and her teammates of her struggles. They were very supportive, she said, and she was able to find techniques that worked for her. Today, she considers herself healed and stronger than before. And as we've seen in headlines and social media feeds recently, Simone Biles, who I just mentioned, is making news by her surprising withdrawal from a couple of Olympic competitions to focus on her mental health. All this has put a lot of attention on elite athletes, the pressure to win and mental health, which is, to my mind, a good conversation to be having. It is. It's unbelievable the amount of pressure those people are under. I and I think it's a miracle that anybody competes in anything. I think that there may be a games in the future, which they would have every reason to say, no, I won't do this. It's insane. Mm -hmm. Millions of people watching the people who are the best in the world at what they do. And the years of training, it's incredible. The years of training. And I just, you know, and I didn't know until you mentioned this, Gwen, that the rhythmic, I've heard about the rhythm gymnastics, but I didn't know it was quite so involved, almost like, a, yeah. it almost sounds like Cirque du Soleil a little bit. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right. just wild, so. Yeah, I know, I, I can't wait to, to try to watch them. Anyway, um, when the games are over, Connor plans to retire from her sport and take her spot at UC Santa Cruz, where she'll study astrophysics and will also follow her second passion, which is writing. Oh. She hopes to write articles about her experiences throughout her career, as well as mental health advocacy as a way to help others. Oh, I think that's terrific that she's getting this done on paper. And it mm -hmm. sounds like a, just a great post-Olympic plan. I know. So what, is she, um, what is she hoping her writing will accomplish? Well, she says anxiety and depression should be normalized and addressed accordingly. And I have to say, I agree. <laughs> that seems far healthier than what we've been doing up to now. Just to sort of deny it or sweep it under the rug. It's yeah. so much more in the spotlight now. People will say it. It really is because I've of everything that's people, happened. I've heard other so. people say that in our UCSC coverage and stories were saying, well, I dealt with depression and I feel yeah. like it's people who are high achieving who are doing, really removing a stigma, I think. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, I think that it's really kind of a groundswell, which is great. We'll be right back with more UCSC News.
UC Santa Cruz and the Santa Cruz Downtown Association are partnering up for Downtown Day, a new event to help returning students get to know downtown Santa Cruz. In addition to the scavenger hunt, there will be performances and a free screening of the movie Us. Downtown Day will be Friday, September 24th from 1 to 4 p.m. on Pacific Avenue in downtown Santa Cruz. And for fall at UCSC are shaping up, which is super exciting as you may have kind of intuited. I'm a little bit tired of this pandemic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's exciting yeah. that, um, that plans for fall are coming together. The campus anticipates welcoming about 6,100 new banana slugs this fall. After receiving a record number of applications, 74,000 undergraduate applications. Wow. What? 74,000? Yeah. Not 7,400. 74,000. Yeah. yeah. That is crazy. I know. Wow. It's, it's amazing. The incoming class has a mean weighted high school GPA of 3.99. These are, these are smarties. And includes many students who are from low-income families and will be the first in their families to earn a four-year degree. UCSC may be in such high demand because of the quality of its research, which as, as we know is very high, as well as graduate and undergraduate teaching, and because it recently joined the American Association of Universities, the AAU, and the Association of Pacific Rim Universities. In fact, UC Santa Cruz shares the distinction of being the youngest member of the esteemed 66 member AAU mm-hmm. and is only one of four members that's also a Hispanic serving institution. The campus is also an Asian American, Native American, Pacific Islander serving institution. For the second year in a row, UC Santa Cruz was ranked among the top five universities nationally for student social mobility. And earlier this year, UC Santa Cruz was named the number three public university in the nation for students focused on making an impact on the world, according to Princeton Review. Fantastic. Lots of amazing rankings and praise and, and kudos coming out. The racial and ethnic diversity of admitted students increased this year. Admissions offers to African-American high school seniors from California increased by 8% over the previous year and offers to Chicanx, Latinx, first year students increased by 10%. In support of cultural and geographic diversity, the campus admitted 4,380 international first year students and 5,167 first year students from other states. That is a walloping big number of people coming from other countries here and also for first Mm -hmm. years from out of state. That's great. It's just an interesting incoming class in every way. I'm really eager to see what they'll do to interview them and write about them. But I've got a couple of questions for you, actually three questions. Uh, Number one, will they be coming back in person or will they come back as a hologram? You know, be- No, I don't think they'll be holograms. Or will they have distance learning? That's what I wanna know, is it gonna be a mix? What What are we looking at? Okay. I don't think any holograms are happening. That would be cool though. But we're planning to return to predominantly in-person learning this fall. Uh, Those students who need to stay remote will be able to continue working toward their degree. Planning is underway for winter quarter, which will provide even more in-person experiences as long as the vaccines continue to be effective against COVID-19 variants. 
Plans, of course, are subject to change pursuant to guidance and directives from federal, state, and local health officials. Mm -hmm. Fall inspection begins September 23 with move-in starting September 16. The campus will provide housing for 9,300 students, more than half of the undergraduate class. And I'm just really looking forward to having students back on campus. I know where the Redwoods, where the Redwoods grow, I am looking forward to every aspect of this, except for one thing, which is the library saying I've got to bring my books back and then actually meaning it. You are notorious for that. The books are coming home to roost. I've got to bring them all back when I think my time <laughs> is up. I think that my grace period's over. I think <laughs> so. Walloping old big fun. Yeah. So. Um, I mean, I'm glad that, that uh, you know, people will be able to continue remotely if they want to or need to. That's always, you know, that, that's, that's a good option. True. Um, True. I'm is. glad they are offering that. But I think a lot of people are really, students are need, really needing to be on campus. So I'm hoping that that can, can, that can keep going. Me too. There's a vitality there. There's a yeah. life that um, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Speaking of returning to campus and other UCSC locations, such as our own glamorous Scotts Valley office. Yes. UC released its final policy requiring COVID-19 vaccinations. That's, oh, that's right. So it says everyone needs to be vaccinated, right? Yeah. UC was kind of at the forefront of this. And now some private companies are coming out and doing this in the federal government. Their policy basically says all students, staff, and faculty must be vaccinated against the COVID-19 virus with few exceptions before they'll be allowed on campus or in a facility or office. Mm -hmm. And we will have to show proof of vaccination that has to be supplied two weeks before faculty, staff, and students are expected to be on campus for the fall term. So fall quarter begins September 18th. So your proof needs to be in, I'm not sure exact. I mean, I'm guessing around September 4th because that's two weeks before. I don't know the exact date though. No, it makes sense to have everything in hand well before mm-hmm. everything starts. So it's taken care of. And yeah, yeah those with approved exemptions, accommodations or deferrals may return to their location, but they'll need to be masked in all public settings and comply with a local testing plan. Employees who choose not to be vaccinated and have no approved exemption, accommodation, or deferral potentially put others' health at risk and may face disciplinary actions. Sounds like a sound policy to me. I Um, totally agree. Let's all stay healthy and get on the real road to recovery. Great. Um, Well, many of you listeners out there know about UC Santa Cruz's wonderful Seymour Marine Discovery Center uh, it's just a, a really a lovely, it's an intimate, but uh, really just immersive place to learn about the ecology of the Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary. When my daughter was a little girl, we used to go there and pet the sharks counterintuitively. Yeah. They have a very uh, tame, docile uh, creatures called swell sharks. We can pet them. Uh, right. Well, now there's some new leadership you should know about at the center. Uh, the Seymour Center has chosen uh, Jonathan Andrus Hicken to be its new executive director. Hicken steps into a role vacated by uh, founding executive director, Julie Barrett Huffington, who retired last year after being on the job for 21 years. Wow. Now, uh, if you think you could just walk into the Seymour Center and say, hey, I want that top job, you're wrong because the campus conducted a national search 
with the help actually of an external search firm, they were really serious about finding someone really good. But after searching high and low, what do you know? They found a new director right in our own backyard because wow. Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Hicken, yeah, he's lived in Santa Cruz with his family for over a decade. And he has the kind of enthusiasm for the local community that is just really genuine. And he, um, he's directing a really unique space. What excites me about the Seymour Center, he says, is that it is an institution that is already beloved and it has enormous support in the community, but that also has massive potential to grow in exciting ways and with new vibrancy. I can't think of a better situation to be walking into. Wow, this is, this is all great news. I mean, we all know and love the Seymour Center. So what does he hope to accomplish as he delves into this new job? Well, uh, for one thing, Hicken is very excited about the Seymour Center's goals to expand its offerings and reach new audiences, but continuing to build on its strengths in K through kindergarten through eighth grade education. And Hicken was chosen for this role in part because of his years of experience uh, growing groups and institutions. So growth is kind of it's what he does. He, he grows mm -hmm. institutions. I should also point out that uh, aside from his commitment to uh, to education, Hicken is an accomplished fundraiser. And six, since 2019, he has worked to raise millions of dollars for the environment, for outdoor recreation, um, and you know, protecting homeless popula populations in the Santa Cruz community through Housing Matters and his own company, which is called Giving Studio. Oh, and he's getting some really good support, really good endorsements. In fact. Um, he got a recently high-profile thumbs up from uh, no less than Gary Griggs, our oh, great. Uh, distinguished professor of earth and planetary sciences, who says the following. He says, I believe Jonathan Hicken's imagination, enthusiasm, communication skills, and fundraising and business experience make him a great choice to lead the Seymour Center. He'll bring new creativity and energy and leadership to this much-loved center. So I'm hoping you and the audience that will uh, you'll join me in uh, giving uh, Hickens a sluggish welcome. We'll be right back. Is autism a disorder or just along a range of human differences? According to the neurodiversity perspective, some neurocognitive differences that are taken to be disorders should instead be understood as forms of human diversity. Learn more at Slugs and Steins, the neurodiversity perspective of autism, what it is and how it matters. A Zoom lecture on Monday, August 9th at 6.30 p.m. Proponents of this perspective, as it applies to autism, claim that autism is an intrinsic aspect of an autistic person's identity, and that atypical functioning and modes of experience associated with autism are made disabling by lack of accommodation by society, not by the condition itself. Jeanette Dinishak is an associate professor of philosophy and associate director of the Center for Public Philosophy at UC Santa Cruz. Much of her research and teaching focuses on autism, disability, neurodiversity, and the ways we can treat human differences as psychologically abnormal or unhealthy. Slugs and Steins Lectures from UC Santa Cruz is a monthly series comprised of informal discussions highlighting UC Santa Cruz's many amazing faculty members. Visit calendar.ucse.edu and search Slugs and Steins. The Puma, consider the Puma, otherwise known as a mountain lion or cougar, 
You probably mm-hmm. have never seen one. No. Um, no. And uh, which I'm sort of glad. I'm. Yeah. I always think, oh, what an opportunity, and how terrifying. Um, <laughs> fairly, they're, they're shy creatures unless you're a juicy deer, but they're usually quite, you know, retiring, quite uh, careful around humans and human development. But research from UC Santa Cruz shows how regional shelter-in-place orders during the coronavirus pandemic emboldened local pumas to use habitats they would normally avoid because they're scared of humans. (laughs) Their scaredy cat ways have been compromised a little bit. Now, this study published in the journal Current Biology is part of a growing wave of research that documents unusual changes to wildlife movement and behavior during lockdown, when people will be out in the streets, out in the urban core, out doing their thing a bit less, you know, hiding out, laying low. Golden jackals, it's not just pumas in the Santa Cruz area. Uh, overseas, golden jackals, for instance, were spotted foraging in broad daylight in Tel Aviv, which you've mm-hmm. ever been there in Israel. It's a big old city, right? Yeah. Mountain lions were seen strolling through the streets of downtown Santiago, Chile. And all the noisy urban environments, they suddenly got a little sleepy during that first terrible wave of the pandemic when storefronts became quiet, restaurants emptied out, and downtowns were pretty inactive. And there was this temporary cessation of human movement and that grinding halt actually got a name. The, uh, some researchers have called that phenomenon the anthropause. I, I think that's a lovely word. Anthrop- I love it. It's yeah. actually have a, a new beer at Sante Adarius called anthropause. Oh, really? Yeah in dedication of the time where the creatures are <laughs> gonna try it. Now, wildlife seem to be taking advantage of the fact that it's like the humans are away and the animals will play. Mm-hmm. The new study shows that that really did happen for pumas out in the Santa Cruz mountains. Researchers were able to clearly connect changes in the cat's habitat use with reduced human mobility during shelter in place. Now, Chris Wilmers, the esteemed environmental studies professor at UCSC, led this research. He's the principal investigator for the Santa Cruz Puma Puma Project, and he has been studying local mountain lion populations for over a decade. (laughs) This research uses data from GPS tracking collars placed on the wild pumas with great caution. Now I'm sure they tranquilize them. To show how fear of humans affects mountain lion behavior. When the shelter in place order started, said Hilmer, that Wilmers, it was immediately clear that things were very different. You'd go outside and there were very few cars, entire neighborhoods were completely quiet. So we wondered how this might affect the mountain lion population. Would they respond quickly to reduced human presence? So what did Wilmers team find in the study and what are some of the broader implications for conservation and ecology and how do they conduct their findings? Great questions. For one thing, it does, in terms of the findings, it does give us a much clearer sense of how human mobility and noise affects the creatures that dwell among us. I'm mm. going to pretty dramatic because you think the anthropos wasn't even happening for very long where people were talking about this. It felt like it was just the reduction. It was uh, it happened quickly. And to conduct the research, the team analyzed about two years worth of mountain lion tracking data for a set of six uh, cats with the collars on, just to see where the pumas were roaming around. They can track the movements of these these guys pretty quickly and what types of habitat they used. And the researchers, what they did was they compared the tracks with the distribution of housing density and the geographic boundaries of what they call the urban edge, the kind of zone Mm -hmm. um, where 
vehicle and pedestrian traffic becomes pretty heightened. And during the shelter in place orders, they found that the cats were significantly more likely to move into or close to the urban edge. As Wilmer said, we found that they totally relaxed their fear of the urban edge. It's uh-huh. not that they weren't scared of cities, they were still scared, but only of high housing density, not the extra impact of human mobility. And I just have to wonder, Gwen, if there's a lasting after effect, because um, just the other day, there was a coyote that was walking up and down uh, my street in Seabright, was a pretty developed suburban area in Santa Cruz, just looking for cats. I mean, <laughs> obviously prowling the street, looking for loose kitties. And wow. you know, thankfully, I didn't see that it got any. Now, you'd think that Ebenezer Scrooge would not be a very good fit for UCSA, right, Gwen? <laughs> <laughs> it does not seem very Santa Cruz-y, but there's a place for everyone at UC Santa Cruz. You know, that's exactly <laughs> the point that I'm going to make because, because Ebenezer Scrooge had potential to change. Mm. I think UCSC is supposed to be transformative. That's part of the mission. Right. Anyhow, Ebenezer Scrooge's mean seems like he contradicts the socially conscious values of campus. And yet, in a sense, in a sense, Gwen, this infamous character has visited the campus. Oh, what? Let me explain. Now, this summer, the Dickens Project at UC Santa Cruz, which is only the, uh, in case you haven't heard of it, the largest multi-campus consortium on Victorian studies in the world. Wow. Will pre- has presented, just finished presenting, the yeah. 40th year of the Dickens universe, which is a week of intense study and festivities. It's usually among the Redwoods and focused on a novel by Charles Dickens. The featured work this year was A Christmas Carol. Now, the conference just wrapped up in a virtual way, but as you know, Gwen, the star, the, the most famous character in A Christmas Carol is the parsimonious Ebenezer Scrooge, who's a real jerk, but um, has kind of a, a transformative moment uh, mm-hmm. because he sees the ghosts of Christmas past and present and he becomes a nicer person. And so in a sense, it kind of dovetails with the way that people change and grow when they're on campus. Anyhow, the popular annual gathering always draws a really enthusiastic mix of scholars, teachers, and students. And I know I saw you there once at the University Gwen. Yeah. We dropped in on that one year and it, it's a hoot, as you know. It, it um, is, looked so fun. So it's so great. And there, when I was there, they had a class on uh, Dickens-style alcoholic punch. And of course, they, people were drinking that. And it just was hilarious. <laughs> I mean, people get so into it. There's some cosplaying. And um, alas, because of the Scrooge-like pandemic and yeah. health concerns, it did take place in the virtual universe. Um, but you know, it sounds like they had a successful conference. And hopefully, we'll have an analog one soon. Uh, uh, this is this this book. Everyone thinks of it as kind of the entry level, the most famous Dickens one. But there's a lot of real stuff in it. It's set against a background of social and economic distress during the early 1800s in London. It's a, a Christmas uh, Carol's the story of one man's conversion from miserly misanthrope. Say that five times fast, Gwen. To <laughs> in the goodness of mankind and an acceptance of his place in the larger hum- human community. So the book. Uh, it's just, it's one of those Dickens works that everyone knows. Everyone's seen that pageant. Everyone's seen the elementary school version. Uh, John Jordan, director and co-founder of the Dickens Project, said that it's one of those books that just retains its popularity that has kind of an uncanny life. And uh, it was, that's why this, was a, this book was selected as the featured novel this year. 
cool. Um, yeah, of course. I, I mean, I, I've made a point to watch that movie every year yeah. <laughs> at Christmas time. So uh, what special surprises did they do at Dickens Universe uh, for, the, for the virtual attendance this year? Well, you know, it seems to me from the sound of it that it was way more epic than last year's mm. online version because they had a full-scale virtual universe. Last yeah. year, th there was an online conference in July, but it was kind of abbreviated. This was more of a full-fledged version where you had more events, more choices for, for people. And oh. um, by the way, John Jordan talked about the incredible afterlife of A Christmas Carol. I didn't realize this, but there have been over a hundred adaptations of Christmas Carol in different media, including several famous from <laughs> film versions. I wonder, there was one with Bill Murray called Scrooge. I remember, I never saw it. Oh, yeah. But, and um, I think there was one with Albert Finney. And uh, there was just a lot of attention, not only to Christmas Carol in of itself, but this whole afterlife and the whole idea of adaptation. So, um, and so it was also a chance for um, Jordan to think about why it was so popular. Other highlights of the week included film screenings of The Passions of Scrooge, as well as a documentary about the making of uh, the opera, plus a reading by celebrated actress Miriam Margulies, who played the role of Professor Sprout. Oh, I remember that. Oh, in cool. The Potter uh, film series. Another special <laughs> feature on this year's universe was a rare opportunity for participants to examine and work on transcribing the original manuscript of A Christmas Carol. Wait, wasn't it already in English? I'm just yeah. kidding. Under the direction <laughs> of scholars and archival <laughs> consultants from the Morgan Library in New York, where the manuscript is housed, and the Victoria and Albert Museum in London. So this is some pretty cool stuff. So cool. I love it. I, I bet everyone there had a blast and, and learned a lot and came away enriched and refreshed and excited for next year. I am really hoping that next year will be a time of in-person conferences, in-person everything. Let's just hope that there's, you know, that the fraternity numbers, the names for the variants, you know, Sigma, Kappa, Epsilon, <laughs> or Delta, Phi, just let's hoping that the, the Greek system stops. Yes. So we can get this yes. fraternity row, un, you know, <laughs> Well, the That's pretty much it for this time. There's always more news at news.ucsc.edu. Good, as always, to have you with us. Stay safe, stay healthy, slugs. We hope we see you soon, and we'll catch you up with all the latest news next time. See you all later. Bye.